Hey, listeners, this is your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. If you're looking for a way to support my podcast, here are three quick things you can do. Number one, visit iTunes and review the show. More reviews help get the word out. Number two, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara and support my shows. A dollar a month helps a little, and five bucks a month helps a whole lot more and gets you some neat things in return. Number three, tell a friend about the show by sharing links to your favorite episodes via social media. As always, thanks for listening and supporting my podcasts. And now, on with the show. You don't know Flag. Welcome to You Don't Know Flag, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flack. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Today is July 26th, and I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about road trips. But before we start this week's road trip, let's take a few minutes to talk about what's been going on during a part of the program I like to call Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading Time. Now, the reason this part of the show is called Loading Time is because, as you know, I store all my notes on my handy-dandy Commodore 64. And the Commodore 64 is known for a lot of things. It's known for its great graphics, uh, its eight sprites, uh, it, it's uh, SID chip, it's three voice sound, but one thing it is not known for is its speedy disk drive access times. Now, things have been sped up over the years with fast load cartridges and Jiffy DOS, and there are lots of uh, tricks to make things load faster, but it doesn't always work uh, with uh, uh, my notes, unfortunately. But So this is interesting. <clears throat> There's a uh, Apple II game released last week called uh, Ancient Legends. And I've seen this advertised uh, over the past couple of, oh gosh, for the past few months. And um, there's, uh, you know, it, it's like a, a 3D game engine. It almost looks like Bard's Tale combined with a 3D game engine. Uh, I've been watching the updates. It looked really good. And suddenly over the weekend, uh, all of a sudden, Ancient Legends was released, and it was written by uh, Seth from uh, 8-Bit Weapon. If you're not familiar with uh, 8-Bit Weapon's music, you should go check that out immediately if you're into uh, chiptunes. I can't imagine if you're into chiptunes that you haven't heard of 8-Bit Weapon. Uh, but, so I downloaded Ancient Legends, and several years ago, I purchased a CFFA 3000 card. Uh, it, it is a great card with a horrible name. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not, uh, you know, like a 1541 ultimate or, uh, the chameleon or something that has a great name. Uh, the CFFA 3000 though is an amazing card. And what it is, is you plug it into one of the slots of an Apple II, a real physical Apple II, 
and you could plug in a USB stick containing Apple disk images. And so uh, just like the 1541, I shouldn't say just like the 1541 Ultimate because uh, the CFFA 3000, uh, and I think I actually did an episode of You Don't Know Flack uh, where I talked about it. It doesn't have uh, the the pop-up, uh, you know, the, the menu that you can do interactive while the machine's running. You have to uh, preload or pre-stack your disks into the virtual drives and things. So, you know, it's different. Uh, but it's very handy, especially if you want to play uh, Apple Disk Images or access Apple Disk Images on a real physical Apple II computer. And so uh, that's what I did. I copied the disk images for Ancient Legends over to my USB. Uh, I plugged it in. I was playing the game. It was. It looks very neat. It's very cool. Uh, even if you only have an emulator uh, or something like that. And I know this is, you know, I'm a Commodore guy, but, um, you know, I, I highly recommend checking it out. It's really cool. And I was, uh, in the middle of fighting some elves and the speaker was making noises and it started, uh, like sounded like it was sparking or something. And I went, that's interesting. And then I heard a loud pop and then I smelled burning and saw smoke and my Apple II turned off. And this is the first vintage computer I have ever had die. Um, you know what? I, I would I would take that back. When I was a kid, and this would have been in 85, 86, uh, I had a bad Commodore 64 power supply, and I replaced it with a third-party one from, I believe it was Suntron was the name of the company, but... Uh, between then and now, I haven't had a computer die, and this one failed spectacularly. I mean, there was uh, the loud pop, there was the smoke. I I unplugged it, pulled the lid off, and smoke was coming out everywhere. And uh, uh, I thought that the smoke detector might go off or the smoke alarm. It didn't, fortunately. Uh, and so I've been doing some research, and it looks like this is a pretty common failure with vintage Apple computers. Um, it, it's a single capacitor that needs to be replaced. I'm not great at soldering. I learned just enough soldering, uh, back in the nineties so that I could, uh, do mod chips for the original PlayStation. And even by the time, uh, that we got to the PlayStation two, it was, uh, beyond my, uh, uh, skill level. So, uh, I, I, um, I think this is something, I think this is a repair I can perform, uh, but it's just a reminder, you know, that uh, we, boy, we take advantage, uh, or not advantage, I guess, but uh, we just take for granted modern electronics, you know. I mean, I have computers in my house that have been on for five years, you know, um, hard drives that I just, I, I back them up because we're supposed to back things up, but I don't every day, I don't worry about them uh, dying, you know, and um of course, the electronics I have in my house, not only are they built uh, with much newer parts, but they're also much newer, you know. And so we we take um, a lot of this vintage computing for granted, but uh, every now and then there we have hardware failures. And so that'll be something I'll be working on in the next, uh, oh, few weeks. I've got to, I've got to order the right uh, replacement capacitor. And um, I have the world's, I don't have the world's worst soldering iron. I have about three of the world's worst soldering irons. I mean, I have several that are non-adjustable. Um, and, uh, I, I think, uh, 
the tips have never been cleaned and, and they're just really ratty condition. And so I'm, I'm going to maybe invest in a nicer one. And, and uh, actually, I'd love to take a soldering class, but I may have to suffice for some YouTube videos for the time being. We'll see. But uh, anyway, so uh, that's why this week's notes are on the old Commodore 64, because the Apple IIe is out of commission. Wah, wah. Uh, so the notes take a little bit longer to load from the Commodore 64, but the Commodore 64 is still running. And right there, my notes have loaded. So I will uh, end this segment by saying if you have feedback about this episode or any other episode of this show, you can email your feedback to me at Rob O'Hare at robohare.com. Drop me a message on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash you don't know flack. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Or leave me a voice message on the podcast hotline, which is 405-486-YDKF. And with that, let's get started talking about road trips. So last December, my family and I took a cruise to Hawaii. And when we stepped off the cruise ship and stepped onto Hawaiian soil... That was my 50th state. I have been to all 50 states now. I've also been to Canada and and Mexico and a few other places. But uh, Hawaii was the last state for me to visit. Now, obviously, you can't drive to Hawaii and you can't drive to Alaska. And I actually took cruises to both of those places. But I have driven to almost all of the other 48 states. And one of the reasons why I've driven so much across this country is that I love road trips. Now, why do I love road trips? Well, there are several reasons, and I just uh, jotted down a few of them earlier. Number one, I hate flying. (laughs) And we'll talk a little bit about uh, why I hate flying uh, and how ironic it is that I work for uh, the Federal Aviation Administration, which uh, our number one job duty, I, I believe our number one thing that we're responsible for is airline safety. So we'll talk about that. Uh, but there's more than just that. That's not the only reason. I mean, that that would be, that would explain me taking road trips instead of flying. But I prefer road trips to flying. And one of the reasons is I just love seeing different parts of this country. Uh, There's a lot of nothing in this country. If you've flown from one coast to the other or, you know, any time that you fly and you look down, you may have a hard time finding a large city or a city at all. You may just see, um, you know, fields and (laughs) dirt and, and crops and things like that. And a lot of times when we drive across country, You see a lot of that, too. It just depends on uh, where you're going and what kind of roads you're taking. But there's an awful lot of neat things to see out there. There's cities to visit. There's, oh, all kinds of road stops and just amazing things to see out there. And and I just, um, it's the journalism part of me, not journalism school or journalism training, but the part of me inside that likes to see things and talk about them and tell stories. That part of me loves road trips. I also love food. You could just say period. (laughs) But what I really love is what I would call regional food. You know, I like going to different places 
and trying, you know, whatever that whatever kind of food they're best known for. That doesn't mean that I'm going to try crazy things. Um, you know, if if well, they go, oh well, only in the Northeast do they have uh, octopus brains. Well, I'm probably going to pass on that either way. But uh, you know, you when you go to different cities, there's either food that they're known for or famous local restaurants. I love. Uh, checking those places out. So that's a big part of road trips for me. Um, I love playing music loud in the car. Uh, and this is, goes back to my childhood. Um, I, I think I've talked about this on an earlier episode, but uh, when I was a kid, my favorite thing to do was I had this little record player and my parents had all these records and I would just go borrow their records and then go into my room, put it on my record player. And my dad had these really good uh, studio quality headphones and I would put them on and I would just listen to albums from beginning to end. And I mean, you know, I was a little kid, like six or seven years old and listening to uh, Queen and Jimi Hendrix and the who things like that. And it was just, um, I just loved it. And then the older I got, the more I did that. I, I really have, uh, I, I think headphones, especially good quality headphones, not even earbuds, but really good quality headphones just allow you to hear so much more in music, uh, and, and being able to crank that volume up. And it's impossible to do that these days, you know, with kids and work and, and things like that, you can't just crank up the stereo anytime you want, but on a road trip, you can, on a road trip, you could just get in the car turn the volume all the way up. I mean, until your, your ears are hurting and even with the windows down, sometimes it's just uh, a feeling that you don't get anywhere else. So um, I really like music. And now over the past four or five years, I've really gotten into podcasts. And so, uh, you know, that's another part of when, when you're tired of the music or whatever, you can listen to podcasts. And I've, uh, I've, I've felt like I've, um, I don't want to say that I've bonded with podcasters, but I have bonded with podcasts. I have fallen in love with podcasts during road trips, you know, as you find a new show and listen to it. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, you, all of, you, you just found this whole new world, a, a new person with a new perspective talking about things. And that's happened to me a few times. So that's, uh, you know, another part of road trips that I really enjoy. So, it would be impossible for me to talk about every road trip I've ever taken. And boy, would that be boring anyway? Um, but I have some specific ones that I will talk about just briefly from when I was a kid. So, and by kid, I mean, before I was old enough to drive the first road trip I can remember going on, I was four years old. Now my dad was born and raised in Chicago and all of his family still lives in Chicago, but he, uh, out when he graduated high school, he joined the Air Force and got transferred around a few times and ended up in Oklahoma. And that's where he met my mom and they got married. And so that's where he settled down. So that's why I was born in Oklahoma. And that's why he lives in Oklahoma today. Both my parents uh, still live in Oklahoma. Um, so... We would go probably once a year to Chicago from Oklahoma, and, and I probably went, I know, uh, there are pictures of me uh, as a baby. I actually, I was uh, uh, baptized at uh, Notre Dame, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, we, we drove up to 
uh, Chicago regularly. But when we were four is the first time I remember going. And my dad had a gray Chevy pickup, the Silverado. This would have been, you know, probably a, a mid-70s model. And he had a camper on the back. And so my parents rode in the front of the truck. And in the back of the truck, uh, my dad put uh, some carpet down, I think. And he uh, put a lawn chair back there. And I had some games and toys I could play with. And so I just sat in the back of the truck with this camper on. Uh, now I think you go to jail for that. Now that's considered child abuse and you can't do that anymore. But, uh, in the seventies that was perfectly acceptable. And so this would have been 1977. Uh, but it is the first road trip that I really remember. And it's funny. I'll talk about some of the things that stick out in my mind about, you know, specific trips, on the way back, I slept in the front of the truck, and um, I had my ear folded over and slept sideways on my ear. So when I woke up, my ear was sticking out sideways, and they started saying, oh, it looks like you have elf ears. And I remember crying and crying because I thought, oh, my ears are going to be stuck like this, or one ear would be stuck like this forever. <laughs> and, um, you know, and so it's funny. That's the big memory. And I also remember... Um, that we went to someone's house. I believe it was my grandma's house and they had a mail slot in the front of their door. And I had never seen that before in Oklahoma, everywhere we lived, we had a mailbox out by the street. And so it was a, a mail slot and it just fascinated me, you know? So those, those were the things that, that stuck out uh, from that trip. But, uh, so, so we definitely went on quite a few road trips when I was a kid we never, I have never been on a plane with either, with anybody else from my family. I mean, from my, my parents or my sister. Um, we only, when we went on vacation, we always did it uh, in a car. I remember in 1982, we went to the World's Fair in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I'm not going to talk too much about it because someday I would like to do an entire uh, podcast about the World's Fair, but uh, we stayed in Pigeon Forge, uh, which is uh, right next to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, which is where Dollywood is today. Uh, back then, it was about a 45-minute drive from there to Knoxville, but that was as close as we could get. All the hotels closer than that were sold out, and my dad was going to rent a van for us to take on this trip, but uh, the cost of renting a van was so expensive that he actually found a van for sale for the same price it was going to cost to rent. I think it was $1,000. And uh, one of his buddies at work said, well, I'd pay $1,000 for that van. And my dad said, well, when we get back, I'll sell it to you. So he bought a van for $1,000. We drove it to Knoxville, Tennessee. We spent the week there. I think we had this van for less than a month. And uh, when we got back, my dad sold it to that coworker for $1,000, so he uh, exactly broke even. My biggest memory about that van, um, well, and first of all, this was a, um, it was a reddish-orange kind of color, and it was wall-to-wall -wall carpeting. I mean, the whole thing inside was shag carpet. I remember that. Uh, and we left uh, on the last day. And we're driving through Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, as and it was nighttime. And as we went through Memphis, Tennessee, someone shot out 
one of our van windows. In fact, it was the uh, passenger, no, the driver's side window right behind the driver's head. So it was literally about a foot, foot and a half behind my dad's head. And there was a big hole where the bullet had gone in. And then the whole window was safety glass. So the whole thing shattered, but it was tinted, so it stayed in place. And um, my parents had my sister and I get on the floor of the van, and we just slept. You know, we didn't realize that it was that scary. And, and you know, maybe it was a BB gun. Maybe it was a – I mean, who knows what it was. But uh, um, we lived right next to these really rough railroad tracks. And we drove from Memphis, Tennessee to Oklahoma City, which is uh, about, nowadays it's about seven hours. I think back then it was probably closer to eight. And uh, when we hit the railroad tracks, which were a block from our house, the window shattered. (laughs) All the glass fell out. So it held together uh, the whole way until we were 30 seconds away from our house. Um, But, uh, you know, that was a a fun road trip. I I remember... um, uh, the van had these captain's chairs, so it was cool that we had our own little chairs, you know. There was a uh, a little table between the captain's chairs, and my sister and I played Connect Four. Um, but this really predates um, much portable electronics other than those little Mattel uh, football games. And I may, have, uh, I may have taken one of those, but I don't think I had a portable radio or I definitely didn't have a, a Walkman or anything. Um, by them. Now, a couple of years later, my mom, my sister and I, and my grandma took a road trip to go see the Grand Canyon, Carlsbad Caverns, and a place called Old Tucson, which is in Tucson, Arizona. My mom had bought a Toyota Tercel station wagon. It was brand new, and it was this light blue color. And when we got it home, all the electronics stopped working. The electronic door locks, um, the radio, everything stopped. And so we went back to the car dealership and the car dealership said, well, we, we can give you a loan or it's going to take us like a week to fix it. And my mom said, you know, we bought this station wagon because we're going on a trip. And the guy said, well, then go on your trip. So they gave us a Toyota Tercel exactly like the one we bought, except for it was a dark blue color. And, uh, and it was four wheel drive. I remember that. So we took, uh, that on our road trip. Um, my biggest memories of that are about old Tucson. Uh, you know what, before I talk about old Tucson, I want to tell you something funny. We have had arguments in my family about what year that took place. And what's funny is there are two things that I very specifically remember about this trip that I know what year it took place. Um, My mom has said that it was either 83, 84, or 85. It's one of those years, but she, you know, is never sure. Sometimes she says it was 83. Sometimes she says it was 85. Um, But I can tell you two things that stick out in my mind about that trip. The first is in... Uh, the car, I took my boom box with me, which I mean was, you know, I don't know, two foot wide, three foot wide, this big giant boom box. And I had headphones and, uh, I remember very, very specifically remembering, uh, that I listened to Van Halen Panama. I know for a fact, uh, the reason I remember it is because there's that, 
the one line where David Lee Roth says, I'm going to reach down between my legs and ease the seat back. But I didn't really understand um, that he was adjusting the seat. I thought it was something dirty when he said he was going to reach down between my legs. Uh, and so I remember listening to that song and wondering what my mom and grandma were thinking when they heard that part of the song. So I know uh, without a doubt that I, that that song was on the radio. And uh, that song was released in June of 1984. So I know that it had to be at least 1984. Uh, the other thing is we went to go visit uh, my mom's aunt, my grandma's sister, uh, and uh, also my cousin who was there. And my cousin had just gone, uh, gotten back from the store and said she had been saving her money, her babysitting money, and had just bought an album that had come out not too long ago. And it was the Footloose soundtrack. And the Footloose soundtrack was released in February of 84. So the fact that both of those things are 1984 makes me think that this trip definitely took place in 1984. Uh, Old Tucson was uh, originally built by Columbia Pictures in the 30s. It was a uh, Old West replica town. It was a, a replica of Tucson from like the 1800s. Uh, and they built it for the movie Arizona. And they built 50 buildings there in just over a month. Uh, some, let's see. I just looked up some of the things that were filmed uh, at Old Tucson were Gunfight at the OK Corral, Cimarron, Rio Bravo, McClintock, uh, El Dorado, Rio Lobo. If you like um, old John Wayne movies and stuff, you would love it there. Um, let's see what else. The Outlaw, Josie Wales, Frisco Kid, uh, even Cannibal Run 1 and 2. And we definitely went, while we were there, we went into a set and they showed us uh, a scene from, I think it was Cannibal, it had to be Cannibal Run 2 of a, a guy's office. And there were like stars behind him in the window. And they showed us how the stars were just, um, you know, little light bulbs behind some uh, black cheesecloth. Um but uh, what they did was they opened it up as a tourist attraction, so you could go walk around the buildings. There was a train ride. Uh, like a lot of Old West things, they had a, a gunfight, you know, Western gunfighters where they would have the gunslingers go out and, and uh, put on a show. Um, let's see. Oh, um, some TV shows that filmed there were Little House on the Prairie, Father Murphy, Gunsmoke, uh, and then Ripley's Believe It or Not and Unsolved Mystery. So anytime they had an Old West uh, scene or something they needed to film, they would go film it there after I left. Um, so we, we this is 84. Um, after I left, some of the things that have been filmed there were three amigos, which I, the cantina is all, uh, from old Tucson. I definitely remember that, uh, tombstone, the quick and the dead young guns Two, lightning Jack, lots of stuff. Um, and also I found this on Wikipedia. It says some scenes from the 1994 arcade game, lethal enforcers Two. Gunfighters from Konami were shot there, along with Fast Draw Showdown and Shootout at Old Tucson by American Laser Games. So those old uh, Laserdisc, uh, old Western games, they filmed it uh, there. Old Tucson, uh, there was a fire in 95, and most of it, or a lot of it, was burned down. Uh, but some places kept, uh, or some film productions uh, came and, and filmed and built new things there. Uh, Wild Wild West filmed there, and there were some other... Uh, movies. So, so they've rebuilt things now. So it's still open. It's still a, a thing out there. Um, so I, I have a lot of memories about that. It's funny that I remember old Tucson more than I remember 
Carlsbad Caverns or the Grand Canyon, really. Um, Carlsbad Caverns, the biggest thing I remember is that my grandma bought a uh, Viewmaster reel. <laughs> so instead of taking pictures uh, on uh, vacation, she would buy Viewmaster reels. And then when she got home, we would just look at the Viewmaster reels. So I remember that. Uh, the Grand Canyon, my souvenir for the trip was... Uh, a Velcro wallet with a thing that said Grand Canyon and a picture of the Grand Canyon, like silk screened on it. And that stuff all flaked off a few months later. It was a red Velcro wallet. Um, but uh, my, my big memory of the Grand Canyon was um, there, there were uh, Native Americans that had these jewelry, like big blankets with jewelry on it that they were selling, but they're not supposed to. So when the park rangers would show up, they would just roll up their blankets and then walk off. And, uh, I, I remember like, for some reason it scared me. Like, um, I was worried that somebody was going to get in trouble or get arrested or something. Um, and then of course my other memory on that trip is taking that boom box with me, which I think used like six C cell or D cell batteries or something. Uh, and I remember, you know, like, uh, the radio itself didn't use a whole lot of battery power, but playing tapes definitely did. So I didn't get to listen to too many tapes, uh, on that trip. A uh, few other trips I remember as a kid. We went to San Antonio one time. We did get to go see the Alamo, and that was uh, uh, my my parents and me and my sister. This was after Pee Wee's Big Adventure came out, and my dad said, hey, go ask that guy uh, uh, where the basement is. And I thought I was so clever. I went over, and I found this garden. I said, hey, <laughs> where's the basement? And um, that's the voice I used. That's a <laughs> <laughs> that's 12 year old me. Uh, and, um, anyway, the guard said, wow, you're the millionth person who's asked me that today. And I was like, Oh, sorry. And so that was kind of awkward. But, uh, my big memory of that trip really was this restaurant called Sombrero Rosa, uh, which was the first place we had ever seen or heard of a breakfast burrito. And nowadays, of course, breakfast burritos are everywhere. I mean, you, I get them at McDonald's all the time, uh, but we had never heard of a breakfast burrito. And the restaurant was shaped like a big giant sombrero on top. And the last time I went to San Antonio a few years ago and I went and found uh, Sombrero Rosa and it's um, a different, either a restaurant or it might've even been a barber shop or something. I don't remember. It's changed into something else. There is no more. Uh, Sombrero Rosa, but the buildings are still there. And uh, so that was cool to see that. I did go to Corpus Christi one time. Uh, my mom had a friend that lived down there. And that was one of those trips where we got to bring a friend. So my mom went and uh, me and my sister went and we each got to bring a friend. I took uh, Jeff. And uh, our big thing in Corpus Christi was we saw all these places that were renting surfboards and we wanted to surf. And we begged my mom to let us surf. And so she took us out to the beach and we rented surfboards and the waves were like one inch tall. It was like, you've seen bigger waves in your bathtub. Uh, and we went out there with surfboards and we paddled around floated and stuff. And, and I mean, when a, a wave went under you, it would just go blip like that. <laughs> you would just kind of rock back and forth. Uh, there was no way to surf there, but of course they, they rented surfboards to a couple of, uh, of, uh, teens or preteens that wanted to go, uh, I guess we were teenagers, uh, but you know, so we wanted to surf real bad, but, uh, I've got a great picture of Jeff and I, uh, as we're standing there holding a couple of surfboards. So we look cool with our surfboards, but we obviously we didn't, uh, get to do much surfing. The other, uh, 
road trip that I really remember. Another one that I got to take Jeff on was when we went to Chicago. But the the reason that one stands out, and I know I've talked about this one on the podcast, was uh, I took my Commodore computer. So before we went on the trip, I called several uh, Commodore BBSs in Chicago and got validated. And anytime you called a BBS long distance, you were treated like royalty because people knew you were paying or in some cases not paying for long distance charges to access their BBS. So uh, I called from Oklahoma and set up accounts on multiple BBSs. And then when we went to Chicago, I took my Commodore and we set it up in the back bedroom of uh, my grandma's house and used her phone line. And then we called all these BBSs, (laughs) um, you know, pretending to be a uh, out of state user and, and trading lots of software and stuff. So that was um, uh, definitely a trip I remember, you know, for that. So we'll fast forward a little bit. Uh, I graduated high school in 91. I went to college for a couple of years. And in 94, well, in the, the fall of 93, I moved in with uh, Susan, who would be my wife two years after that. And uh, there's a obviously a, a thing that, uh, you know, a bravado that, that guys or boys put on, you know, a, a macho thing. Oh, I've done that. I've been around the world, that sort of uh, attitude. And my wife, well, girlfriend at the time, uh, I was telling her all about the great city of Chicago. Oh, I've been to Chicago so many times and man, we should just go to Chicago sometime. And so uh, she had a brand new car. She had a Saturn SC2. And she said, yeah, we should go to Chicago. Let's go. Like, uh, let's go next week. And uh, it might have even been like, let's go, you know, over the weekend or something. It, it was not very much lead time. And I was like, yeah, man, let's do it. And uh, and then um, she left somewhere and I called my dad and I said, dad, how do you get to Chicago? <laughs> and uh, from Oklahoma City to get to Chicago, you drive north until you hit St. Louis, and then you kind of go northeast till you hit Chicago. It's not that hard to find. Uh, but he, uh, uh, we, we had a, uh, this of course, long, long before the days of the internet, GPS, anything else, but we had a, uh, uh, Atlas, you know, one of the big giant Atlases in the car. And so we, we drove to St. Louis and then we drove to Chicago. And, uh, uh, I remember when we got there, I believe my dad had already called ahead and said that we were not to um, sleep in the same room uh, because we were not married. <laughs> so uh, Susan slept on the in the spare bedroom at my grandma's house, and I slept out on the front porch. So there was no funny business during the trip, uh, which was funny because we were living together at the time. But, you know, living together is one thing, and uh, going and visiting your grandma and staying at her house uh, is something else. And so you always show respect in those uh, situations. And that's what we did. So, um, so that was the first road trip that my wife and I ever took together. Now in, uh, the spring of 96, uh, I, I'd started working for the FAA in 95. And in the spring of 96, I flew to, uh, Boston. Actually, I was at Boston and, um, I had the worst flight that I've ever experienced. It was, um, you know, just turbulence everywhere. Of course, seatbelts the whole time. The stewardesses uh, or flight attendants never stood the entire flight. It was just one of those flights from hell. It was just really bad. 
And uh, when we landed, I was in Boston for a week, and every night I was in Boston, I had a nightmare that that plane crashed. So it was just constant, you know, um, just every night having the same nightmare. And so the last day I was there, Friday, I was supposed to catch the plane, and uh, the uh, airport called my hotel room and left a message. And the message was, your plane has been delayed due to maintenance issues. Um, and I just thought, that's it. I mean, I don't need that big of a sign, you know, <laughs> like, like you've laid it out for me. Don't get on this plane. And, uh, so I called work and I said, I don't know what to tell you, but I'm not getting on that plane. And they said, well, rent a car and come home and, uh, we'll, we'll figure it out when you get here. So I called, uh, Susan and I told her what the deal was. And she said, well, why don't you just drive from Boston to Chicago and then we'll, we'll pick you up there. So, uh, my wife and Jeff and his uh, girlfriend at the time drove up to Chicago, and I drove from Boston to Chicago, and we met there, and uh, I think it was when the, it was 96, it was during um, when the Bulls were in the finals, I think, because we watched a Bulls game at my grandma's house. And then uh, the next day, we drove uh, back from Chicago, back down to Oklahoma, but that drew a line for me. After after that flight, I just decided that I was not going to get back on a plane anytime soon. It was such a horrible experience for me uh, that I just didn't want to do it anymore. So this kind of became a little bit of a problem for me at work because uh, we were doing upgrades. Uh, we were rolling out you know, new offices and and uh, sent doing uh, server installs, and all of a sudden I didn't want to fly. But uh, what the FAA and the government in general does is if you want to drive your own vehicle, you can do that, and you have to do what's called a cost comparison. So uh, just to give you an example, uh, I, I looked up an American Airlines uh, flight for next week, for the first week of August, uh, going from uh, a round trip from here to Memphis and back. Uh, so if I were going to drive that, it's 487 miles uh, one way, uh, and it's a seven-hour drive. Okay, so um, they would reimburse me 54 cents per mile. So that's 974 miles round trip. That would be $525 in gas that they would pay me. Um, now, my truck gets about 17 miles to the gallon. So if you do the math, I would use about 57 gallons of gas. Gas right now is around $2 a gallon. So I would spend about $114 to get to Memphis and back in my own truck. Um, if I were to fly to Memphis, the round trip is $978. So my gas is less than that. So they would pay me, um, you know, the total that that is less. So they would pay me that full 500 and something dollars. Now it doesn't, it sounds like I'm getting away with a lot of extra money, but I'm really not because, um, uh, you know, they figure in the cost of a rental car and different things like that. So, um, uh, you know, I end up spending a lot of that money anyway, like on parking and, and stuff like that. So, uh, but also people say, well, if you drive, it takes so much longer. I mean, the flight, you know, from uh, Oklahoma city to Memphis is just an hour, hour and a half or a couple hours. And if you're going to drive, you know, it's, it's seven hours. Well, 
the flight that I looked at that I could get uh, for next week leaves Oklahoma City at 7 a.m. It arrives in Dallas-Fort Worth at 8 in the morning. And then at 10.17, it flies from Dallas-Fort Worth to Memphis and arrives at 11.47. So it's almost five hours of flying. Plus, I would have to drive to the airport. Plus, I would have to be an hour or hour and a half or two hours early, depending on what the TSA is doing right now. When I got to the airport, I'd have to get a rental car and then drive to the hotel or whatever. So honestly, if the flight is going to be five to six hours or whatever, I can probably drive there just as fast as I could fly there. So a lot of the work trips, I started off going to Dallas. Um, I drove to Denver. Uh, Let me see. I I wrote down a list of places I've driven just for work. Phoenix, St. Louis, Chicago, Atlanta, Philadelphia. Um, I drove to a Microsoft class in Charlotte, North Carolina, and probably the longest that I've driven for work is from Oklahoma to Washington, D.C., which is 1,300 miles. Uh, and that uh, brings us to another part <laughs> of these goofy work trips, which is sleeping in my car. Now, this is something that I don't necessarily recommend that you do. But um, so the way this works, if I go on a trip Monday, you know, let's say uh, I'm going to go to an office and I travel on Monday and I travel on Friday. Uh, I would get the hotel for Thursday night, but the FAA or work would not pay for me to have a hotel Friday night because if I had flown, I would be home. Uh, So if it's a place like DC, a drive that takes me two days, I'd have to pay for my own hotel out of pocket. Um, And so instead of doing that, I just started finding Uh, Not rest stops. I don't like rest stops because I think people get robbed (laughs) or killed at rest stops. But I would find convenience stores. I mean, like 24-hour truck stops or casinos or um, really hotel parking lots are really good. And I would just pull in and turn off my lights and sleep for a few hours. And then when I woke up, hit the road. Um, That was a lot more fun when I was 25 and 30. The last time I did it was... uh, Oh, a few months ago, and I really didn't sleep the whole night. It's just I'm getting too old, and my bones are getting too brittle <laughs> to be doing that. Um, but uh, yeah, so I did a lot of trips that weren't recreation trips, you know, but work trips. But it's still kind of the same. It's still you're getting out on the road, you're getting the windows down, as my wife says, you're getting the stink blowed off you. <laughs> you're getting to, to uh, you know just have have. Uh, that experience. Now, I looked at my blog earlier today and came up with a list of the road trips that I have written down that we have taken. And again, I'm not going to you know, go into great detail of every road trip that I've taken, but uh, this is just a, a loose list of some of the ones going back to 2009. Uh, and that was right around the age where all of a sudden the kids could go for more than 20 minutes in the car without having to use a bathroom. Uh, in 2009, we went on vacation to Branson, uh, which is, oh, five, six hour drive. Uh, and then that same year I went to attend Nauticon, uh, and block party, which is a demo party and a hacker convention, uh, that take place at the same location. They were at uh, Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, so that was a fun trip. In 2011, 
my family and I drove west, and we went to uh, – we basically recreated that Grand Canyon trip. We went to the Grand Canyon, Carlsbad Caverns, Meteor Crater, which is a giant hole in the ground that I have seen probably five times for some reason. Uh, and then we went to Vegas, which uh, if you ever want a good time, take uh, two young kids to Vegas. <laughs> and then you can't do anything. We did go see uh, David Copperfield. We actually met David Copperfield. We uh, uh, they, He had a, a contest that if you tweeted uh, and they tweeted you back, then uh, you could go meet him backstage. And so they, they tweeted me back, and we got to go meet David Copperfield. That was cool. Um, gosh, let's see. In 2012 was our Alaskan cruise, and we drove all the way to Seattle. That is 1,974 miles from my house. It took us three days each way. Uh, we went through Yellowstone. We went to Mount Rushmore. We got to see Devil's Tower, the uh, tower from Close Encounters. That was a really fun uh, trip and a fun cruise. Uh, in 2013, we went to Maine. Uh, I don't even know how far this trip was. That trip took forever. Uh, we got to go to Fun Spot, the arcade. Uh, we went through Cleveland. We got to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the house uh, that was in A Christmas Story. And Niagara Falls, we got to go to... Uh, Rochester, we just had a, a really good, really good time. Um, and then, so as my kids have got older, we've gone on more and more trips in 2000. I'm looking here at 2014, we drove to Disney world in Florida. We went through new Orleans to do that. Uh, we went to California. We went all the way from, uh, San Francisco, uh, I mean, we, we did um, Disneyland, we went to Rancho Obi-Wan, the Computer History Museum, Alcatraz, uh, the Warner Brothers Studio. My wife wanted to go see the Redwood. Uh, she wanted to see the General Sherman Tree, which is, I mean, if I could explain in one sentence the difference between my wife and I. She wanted to go see the General Sherman Tree. I wanted to go see uh, the Warner Brothers Studio where they had filmed parts of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. So... <laughs> That would be the difference between my wife and I in a single sentence. Uh, we went to Austin that year. We went to uh, Denver. I think that was the year of the Kong off. Um, and we went to Denver. So that was cool. Um, and, and yeah, just so like, like I said, some of these on the family ones, it's a little bit different because you can't, you know, turn the music up to 10. You can't, um, you know, now I roll down the windows and the kids say, roll the windows up. I can't hear my DS or whatever. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, a lot of the ones for work I enjoy because it's just me. Um, I went, uh, in 2014, I spent a week in DC for work and a, another week in Chicago and it, they were both work trips. And, uh, I'm going to talk about music here in just a minute, but, um, you know, a, again, people say, Oh, why, you know, you do 12 hours to Chicago by yourself. I'm like, Oh yeah, that doesn't sound great. I mean, I love it, but some people don't love it. Uh, 2014, uh, I went to Vegas and we did a, uh, MCSC boot camp. Uh, and then in 2015, oh my gosh, we went to Louisville, Kentucky and DC. Uh, I went, that's the year I drove up to, um, Buffalo, and uh, Tana wanted to go see Sean, meet Sean in person from Throwback Reviews. We had a good time that weekend. Uh, 2015, we did a trip to Minneapolis and to Wisconsin. That's where we went and stayed in the Futuro house. It just goes on and on. I'm not going to list uh, uh, all these road trips, you know. But um, uh, just suffice it to say, 
our cars have a lot of miles on them. <laughs> My truck has been to Vegas. Uh, I mean, from Oklahoma. I know. I, I mean, going south, it's been all the way. Uh, gosh, well, it's been to Texas. You know, if you go east, it's been to Florida. It's been to Maine. It's been through the Dakotas. It's been to Seattle. <laughs> it's been to California. My truck has probably been to 40 different states. Um, and it doesn't have that many miles on it. It only has like 140,000 miles on it. My wife's car has 160,000 and it's three years old. So we've really, <laughs> we've really broken her Honda in. Um, now the last trip that's on here that I listed, uh, is, uh, when we went to Los Angeles, we took our cruise to Hawaii, but we did not drive to Los Angeles. We flew. And there's a reason I point that out. And that is that, um, for me, road trips are about, it's not about just getting there. It's about the trip. The trip is part of the adventure. But for a lot of times, my wife, she says the trip is once you arrive, you know, I mean, like when we were going to LA, that's when we went to go see uh, Star Wars, The Force Awakens before we left on our cruise. So she didn't want to drive all the way out there and then leave and go on the cruise. So she is a firm believer in you should fly, arrive at the destination, and start your vacation. I'm a big believer that the drive the drive is part of the vacation. So uh, we have had to compromise. There have been some uh, uh, trips where I've agreed over the past four or five years to fly uh, to different places. I don't like it, but uh, you know sometimes you do what you got to do. And sometimes she rides with me in the car on trips that she'd probably rather fly on. So, you know, it's, uh, it's concessions. That's, uh, that's marriage. <laughs> that's the way it works. Now I got to tell you about, uh, one of my road trip rituals that has gone by the wayside. And there's a part of me that misses it. But one of the things I used to do before every road trip was I had these CD booklets. Like I know I had one that had 24 pages and let's see, that would be four CDs on the front and four on the back of each page. So 12 times eight would be 192. So, uh, it would hold 192 CDs and by, um, definitely by the year 2000, I had, um, well over a thousand CDs. I had probably 1200 CDs and, um, this would be my ritual. I would go take that CD book and start pulling CDs that I wanted to listen to on the road trip. And I always had a, um, you know, criteria Like it had to be things that I could sing along with. It had to be things that would keep me awake. And it, you know, if it was just me by myself, it would be things that my family would hate <laughs> because this would give me the opportunity to listen to those things. So, um, Sing-along CDs, uh, I mean, I would even call these, like, these were my must-haves. Um, every road trip, I take these CDs. Still to this day, I take now I take them digitally. But um, Alice in Chains' Dirt, that's uh, always on the list. Uh, the first couple of Life of Agony albums. The first six Metallica albums, Kill 'Em All, all the way through the Black album. Um, the first five Motley Crue albums, it's not all heavy metal stuff. It's, I guess that's just the way the list, uh, worked itself out. I always take, uh, the Beatles white album, Sergeant Pepper and Abbey road. Those are ones I can listen to from front to back. Uh, 
some Weird Al. It doesn't really matter what Weird Al, but I always take something from Weird Al. Uh, let's see what's on my must required list. Um, the first Stone Temple Pilots album, uh, and maybe not as much anymore, but that used to be on the list. Um, Guns N' Roses, Appetite for Destruction always goes. Um, ACDC, Back in Black always goes. Um, I always take the first Pearl Jam album and the first uh, couple of Nirvana albums. Uh, so, you know, so those are ones that I can listen to from beginning to end, things I can sing along with, uh, and that I just enjoy. It helps uh, pass the time, and, and, um, and yeah, I, I like listening to them. Uh, the number two category that I always take on road trips are greatest hits albums. Now, I just look through my phone uh, by for greatest hits albums, and these are the ones, and, and definitely I would take every one of these on CD uh, back in the day. Um, there's a, a Beatles, uh, I think it's just called one. It's, uh, all their number one hits. There's like 26, 27 tracks on it. Uh, so that's one I would take, um, journey's greatest hits, hollow notes, greatest hits, the car's greatest hits, the car's greatest hits is so good. You're just what I need it. Uh, <laughs> Queen's greatest hits. Um, Rick Springfield's greatest hits, which is actually pretty good. Uh, Phil Collins, Heart, uh, The Police, that's a great Greatest Hits album. Uh, Kiss, Greatest Hits. You know, you could probably take a bunch of Kiss albums, but Kiss, Greatest Hits, you know, nails it for me. Uh, Billy Joel, Volumes 1 and 2, Greatest Hits. That's It's two really good CDs. And then Duran Duran's Greatest Hits. It's also a great Greatest Hits album. Uh, so, you know, I would always take those. And a Greatest Hits album, especially if it's an artist you like, well, you could just listen to it. I mean, that Phil Collins one, you could listen to every song. You could sing, uh, you know, every track. You could do the air drums to uh, in the air tonight. You know, it's just uh, uh, all those are, are really good albums. And then uh, the third category that I mentioned, things that my wife and kids hate. Maybe not, that's not the right word, but um, uh, maybe things that aren't appropriate uh, to the kids. Like, I mean, I would take... Uh, Public Enemy or, you know, NWA or Ice-T, things like that, that albums that I liked, but I don't get a chance to listen to with kids in the car that much. Also, like heavy metal albums, maybe that have um, cuss words or, or things that aren't appropriate for the kids. That's a good time to listen to that stuff. So that was my um, ritual was to go through my CD collection. I would sit there in my office chair on wheels and slide back and forth in front of the CDs and pull each one and put them and organize them in this book. And then you'd have your whole book of CDs, you know, ready when you hit the road. There was one trip that we took where I didn't do that. In 2001, when my wife was pregnant with Mason, we drove to Memphis, Tennessee, and we didn't take any music at all. And I, I may have mentioned this. Uh, we made it to somewhere in Arkansas, and I was like, oh, I can't take it. We just ran out of things to talk about. And um, so we pulled into a thrift store. No, not a thrift store, a, a pawn shop. And I think they were having CDs. I think they were like $2 each or something like that is what it worked out to. And I bought several CDs that I already owned. Like I, I know I bought um, the Pearl Jam 10, which I know I had at home. I bought Leonard Skinner's Greatest Hits uh, and several other CDs, but I, I was like, ah, oh, just, you know, it was it was like going to work without wearing your pants. You know what I mean? It was like that's part of the road trip is having that music, and it was just missing. It just didn't feel right. So uh, 
uh, we, you know, he had to fix that problem. Of course, all of this has gone by the wayside uh, with the iPhone, you know, and, or how, I mean, personally for me, the iPhone, but, you know, digital music in general. Um, I just looked at my phone right before I hit record. I have 4,679 songs on my phone, and it says I have 60.44 gigabytes free out of 128. Uh, so my phone is just barely at half capacity. Um, now, for that CD wallet that held 192 CDs, uh, if you figure, you know, that's 10 songs per CD, that would be 1,920. And remember, I have 4,000. So I have almost almost 3,000 more songs on my phone than I would have uh, when I took the CDs. And the thing is about your phone is... Um, you have the songs that you like, you know, so everyone is like those greatest hits albums. So I don't have to have, you know, Oh, Kiss's greatest hits or whatever. I could just put the kiss songs that I like on my phone and that's it. You know, I get in the car and I just put it on random and that's it. And it's like all my greatest hits, all my favorite songs, you know? So I, I just, I kind of miss that ritual of of loading the music and and preparing for that. But on the other hand, it's like I can walk out the door now. It's the same thing with uh, um, the Road Atlas, where you would sit down and go, "Okay, we're gonna go here. We're gonna go here. I need to get gas by here, like that." You know, there maybe I could get a hotel. I right now I could go get in my car and just with my phone. I mean, all all I need is a charger. As long as I have a phone charger, I could go anywhere in the country. I have my music. My wife, she doesn't even have music on her phone. She has Pandora and she has Spotify and she'll just stream music. <laughs> you know, she doesn't, she doesn't care if, um, I think she probably has Elton John's greatest hits and the beaches soundtrack. That's probably what's on her phone right now. Uh, but other than that, she's happy to stream music. So it, it's just a different, uh, mentality, but yeah, I, once you have that the phone and you can just pick and choose songs, I mean, like um, Down. Down's a good example. Um, I, I like Down. Uh, that is the, uh, it was kind of a super group. It was, um, well, at the beginning it was uh, uh, Phil from Pantera was on vocals. Uh, Rex, the bass player from Pantera, came in. A couple guys from uh, Crowbar and guys from Corrosion of Conformity. Uh, but not most of their music is not stuff that I would sing along with, but there's one song called stone, the crow that I just absolutely love. You know what? If you listen all the way through this podcast, you might hear a minute of it. I'll just say that. And so for me, I don't want to listen to all their stuff, but it's just like that one song. Every time I hear that song, I love that song. And so I just, you know, it's on the phone. And, and when that comes on, it's like, there's your moment. You roll down the windows, crank it up. And, uh, and sing along, you know? So, uh, yeah, I, like I said, I do miss the, uh, the ritual of loading the music and stuff, but it, it's all there. All my favorite stuff is uh, already on the phone. So I don't need to do that anymore. At the beginning, I talked about the food from different places. Um, over the past few years, I've had lobster rolls in Maine. I've had uh, little Anita's, which is kind of a, a place my wife and I, uh, we stopped at the first time we went to Albuquerque. So when we go to Albuquerque, I, there are better, uh, Mexican restaurants in Albuquerque, but we, we kind of go there for sentimental reasons. 
Uh, I've had Chicago pizza and Chicago hot dogs in Chicago. Uh, the White Castle's there. I've had White Castle's in St. Louis and sushi in San Francisco and Philly cheesesteaks in Philly. Uh, when we were in Wisconsin, we went to a restaurant and ordered cheese curds just because that's what you do up there. Um, so, like I said, I'm not super uh, experimental. Like, I'm not... I know that when we went to New Orleans, uh, there was a lot of crawfish on stuff, and I was like, eh, I don't think I'm going to try that, you know. But I did have, um, oh, what do you call it? Um, I don't know, just, just local kind of stuff, you know. So um, uh, I, I like the food. Um, I, I like, like I said, what, whatever they're famous for, that's what I want to try, you know. So so anyway, we're kind of getting up to uh the end of this episode, uh, or not the end, but the last story. So I've done all these road trips my whole life. And, uh, I, I said, you know, one thing that's been on my bucket list forever is to take a road trip in an RV just because it seems like so much fun. You know, it's like the ultimate road trip. So I told my wife, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, we were going to go to uh, Texas and we were going to go snorkeling and do some stuff. And then my son broke his collarbone uh, and he couldn't swim. So that kind of put a damper on that. So, and we already had the RV reserve the week of 4th of July. So we, we looked at the map and, and the other uh, thing that we took into consideration was it was a hundred degrees in Oklahoma and Arkansas and Texas. Just everything around us has been blazing hot. And the high in Santa Fe, New Mexico, was 80 degrees. So we said, you know what? We haven't been to Santa Fe. We want to check it out. So that's what we're going to do. So uh, we rented an RV locally through uh, one of these uh, vacation places that rent RVs and um, had it for five days. So uh, we got in on Wednesday, returned it on Sunday. Now I'm going to tell you right up front. I, I just did the math of what this thing cost us to drive to Santa Fe, New Mexico and back. Uh, right off the bat, it was $210 a day. So that's $1,050 to rent the RV. Mileage, they gave us 100 miles allotted per day. Anything over that was 35 cents a mile. So uh, we had it for five days. Uh, so that's 100 miles a day that we would get off the total. We drove 1300 miles. So we basically had to pay 35 cents a mile times 800, which is $280. Uh, then we had to pay for gas. And it turns out that the RV gets about nine miles to the gallon. So 1300 miles divided by nine, multiply that by $2 and you get uh, $288. It was actually a little bit more than that. I'm, I'm kind of rounding uh, that $2 figure, but 288 for gas uh, then we paid $40 a night four times to park the RV, so that's $160. Uh, so if you uh, round up a little bit on that gas price, that brings you to $1,800 to rent an RV and drive it to Santa Fe, New Mexico, and back. For comparison, and by the way, uh, we we went through Albuquerque. We didn't stop, but we went through Albuquerque to pick up a rental car because my wife had enough uh, travel points for a free rental car. Um, so I'm not including the cost of a rental car. Now my wife's car gets around 30 miles to the gallon. So I did the math. Uh, if we drove her car to Santa Fe, it would have cost us about $80 in gas. 
Um, and then we would have had, you know, four nights of hotels. So, you know, if you get a hundred dollar a night hotel, that's $400. I mean, it would have been so much cheaper <laughs> for us to drive our car, uh, versus the RV, but that's not the point, right? You want to, you want the adventure, you want the RV adventure. Well, let me tell you, I got the RV adventure and it wasn't, uh, <laughs> it wasn't everything I thought it would be. Uh, right off the bat, when we picked up the RV, we got about 45 seconds worth of training. I mean, the guy said, here's how this works. Here's how this works. Do you got it? I joked. I said, no. And he said, okay. And then he left. So, uh, you know, as far as like, there were switches to operate the slides, there were switches to operate the water pumps, the hot water heater, all these things. Um, and to prime and start the generator. One thing we didn't know is that the whole time you're driving, you're also running the gas generator to get power to the back part of the RV. So since the kids were in the back, if they wanted things like electricity or air conditioning, the generator had to be running, which was using gas from our gas tanks, which affected uh, the overall mileage. Um, and then the generator occasionally overheats because it's the middle of summer. So when it overheats, you lose power to the back part of the RV. The kids don't have air conditioning. It would get hot, you know, because it's hot right now. Uh, so, you know, it was just, a um, a lot of things like didn't fit. The drawers wouldn't stay shut when we were driving. It was just a very, uh, you know, we were worried of th about things breaking all the time. And another, I guess, thing I should mention is when we picked this RV up, we found out that it had uh, 101,000 miles on it. So this was not a new RV. It was a 32-foot uh, Class C RV. Now, here's another thing I want to mention. I want you to think about any time you've been driving down the road and you see an RV and maybe you pull up behind it or you pass it or you're driving in his blind spot. That RV driver could be just like me, a guy who has never driven an RV before. And the mirrors were so strange uh, and difficult for me to see what was next to me that there were times that I just turned on my blinker, waited 10 seconds, hoping that anybody who might have been there has moved and then would start changing lanes. And I would do it slowly. So if anybody hadn't moved, they had time to move. But I felt like a lot of times I was just driving blind and I am amazed that people will just get up on your bumper or get in front of you and hit the brakes. And I'm like, I am not a trained RV uh, operator. Um, and, and you know, another, I'll give you a great example of this. Um, when, when my dad and I, my dad purchased a big flatbed trailer, uh, it's eight foot wide and, um, 16 foot, I think, yeah, 16 foot long. And that's what I always used to move arcade games with. So the first time I took the trailer out, uh, I, I didn't go to a class on how to strap arcade games. You know, I wanted to move it standing up. And so I just put enough straps where I thought it would hold it in place. And I had people tailgating me on the interstate and I wanted to just stop and tell them, I don't know if that's going to hold like that arcade game might fly off at any given moment. So I've had arcade games tip over. I've had, you know, just crazy experiences with moving arcade games and people will still come right up next to you. I, a friend of mine uh, was transporting a Galaga 
arcade game in the back of his truck. The wind caught it, and it blew it out and smashed it on the interstate into a million pieces. I mean, that stuff happens. So now I have a complete different view of other people driving RVs. When I see other people driving an RV now, I'm just going to assume that they're me, that they're a guy who just rented that thing and has never driven it before. I will give you lots of space. Um, so that part of it was was um, uh, interesting. The beds were the most uncomfortable beds we have ever slept in. The beds in the RV were, I guess they're called foam board. It's like two inches of foam on, mounted to a piece of wood. Uh, there were bunk beds. There was a queen-size bed. There was a, a table and chairs that folded into a bed. And then there was the bed over the uh, camper. All of them had that same mattress. Even the queen-size bed in the back of the camper had a piece of foam on a piece of wood. I mean, when you... I climbed onto the queen-size bed on my knees, and immediately I felt like I was just kneeling down on concrete. I mean, it was no padding at all. And uh, there was a uh, a leather couch that kind of folded out into a futon, so I just slept on that thing. Uh, and we gave Mason the queen-size bed, and my wife slept on the uh, uh, bunk bed because she wanted to. But uh, no, there wasn't a bed in there that was six foot long. Uh, the couch that I slept on was 60 inches, which is, uh, well, five foot. So it was five foot long. So my, you know, I had to bend my knees and sleep that way. Um, it was just really, really cramped for as big of a vehicle as it is, you know, it was just, just, um, not, not comfortable, you know? Uh, and speaking of uncomfortable, um, the first morning, after we woke up, my wife um, cooked some breakfast. So, so how can I put this? The I, I mentioned that one of one of the things I enjoy about road trips is the local food. So we have driven to Amarillo, Texas. We are parked a couple of miles away from uh, the Big Texan, the home of the seventy-two ounce Texas steak. Now, I'm not going to have that for breakfast, but my point is that we're in a part of the country that is known for their steaks and their food. And my wife is going to cook scrambled eggs and spam. She brought spam, I think, I think partially because she thought it'd be funny, but um, because, uh, you know, for the road trip. But the thing is, is that we're on the road trip. I don't want to eat scrambled eggs. I want to eat road trip food, you know? And when we were in Amarillo, or not uh, Amarillo, um, Santa Fe, New Mexico, one night, my wife said, well, we're, you know, we're going to make um, box spaghetti. I don't want to have box spaghetti in Santa Fe. I want to go have green chili sauce on tamales or something. You know, I mean, I want to have local type food because that's part of the enjoyment for me. So the way, I, the way that my wife justified the cost of the RV was that if we cooked and ate in the RV, we would cut down uh, on our, our food cost. And there were times where, uh, when we drove over for dinner, when we drove to Amarillo, uh, instead of stopping for dinner, my wife had sandwich stuff and we made sandwiches and we ate in the RV. So, I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it's okay. It's just, how do you want to, you know, what do you do 
that makes you enjoy a trip. And for me, it's going to those local eateries and finding local food and local restaurants. And it's not eating sandwiches while we're driving. So it's just a different take on stuff. But uh, when I was saying speaking of uncomfortable, the following morning in Amarillo, we woke up, uh, had some eggs, had some spam, had some coffee, and now it's time for Big Flack to do a little number two. And so this is the first official use of the bathroom in the RV. I said that the bathroom was three foot by three foot, but I think it was probably smaller than that. I know that when I went in there, uh, I like I was one shoulder was touching the cabinets. The other shoulder was touching the shower door when I was standing in front of the, the toilet. Uh, but I'm not standing in front of the toilet. That would be number one. But after having spam and eggs and coffee, daddy's going to go number two. I'm trying to be as polite as I can in this conversation. But uh, I, at one point, my leg is in the shower. <laughs> And my arm is up on top of the sink and things are just not going well. And, uh, <laughs> and when we're all done and uh, not, we, it's me when I'm all done, I realize that nobody has turned on the water pump or the water, uh, heater or whatever. Uh, so, th- so there's no water in the tank for it to flush. So everything that I put in the toilet is still sitting in the toilet. And so now we are troubleshooting the toilet and the water drainage systems while it's full. And this is not a pleasant experience. Uh, And then once we get a troubleshoot uh, that, then my daughter uses the toilet. And now the light comes on and says that the, the black water tank is full. Now, there are two tanks under the RV, there's a gray tank and a black tank. The, the gray one is shower water, sink water, things like that. The black tank is things that go through the toilet. So now we have to empty the, the black tank. And my wife is arguing with me. She says, well, you know, it's supposed to hold 40 gallons. And if you used it, Morgan used it and all this. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't think... I put 20 gallons worth of stuff in there, and I don't think Morgan put 20 gallons worth of stuff in there, and I don't know how much was in it, but this is what I could tell you. The light says it's full, and I don't think we want to find out what happens when it gets too full. So most RV parks have a uh, a dump where you can uh, – there's a hose in the RV. If you've seen the movie RV – uh, you have the general idea of how this works. If you haven't, uh, you you drive to there's a we there was a sign that said dumping station and dumping station literally means a hole in the ground. And you pull up your RV next to it. You hook up your hose. You make very sure that the hose is connected <laughs> and latched. And once it's locked into position, you pull one lever. And everything that's in the black container goes through the hose into the hole in the ground. And when then you pull the gray one and all of the gray water supposedly washes everything through the hose and also down into the hole. The other end of the hose that's down in the hole is not sealed or airtight at all. So you're literally 
I mean, we did it with two people. So my wife had the uh, was pulling the the levers, and I was making sure that the hose stayed in the hole. But I'm standing over a hole that's just filled with other people's RV waste, and it smells exactly like what you might think it would smell like. Uh, and when you're done, you have to remove the hose and put it back in its little storage area. Ours was actually inside the bumper. The bumper was hollow. We had to store the, the hose back in the bumper. And you're trying so hard not to get any fluid or anything on you. And we were very careful about that. Uh, and then once that was all done, you uh, go get back in your RV and, and move. And then the next people are waiting to, to empty their uh, toilet thing in the... <laughs> The dumping station. There were people that were camping right next to the dumping station, and I wondered if they got a discount because there was just a slight breeze. And the minute you stepped out of the RV, I was like, oh, we're in the right place <laughs> because this smells like a place where people put doo-doo. <laughs> That's what it smelled like. <laughs> and I I was like, this is the, the most... Uh, I mean, of all the, the things, the problems that I had with the RV as far as driving it, the wind blowing it around on the road, the low gas mileage, everything else, that was the part that I um, enjoyed the least. And I definitely would not want to be camping right next to where that takes place. So uh, we spent our time in Santa Fe. We did cool stuff in Santa Fe. I'll probably talk about that at some other point. Um, but uh, we have decided since we returned that we can mark driving an RV somewhere off the bucket list. We have done it. I don't plan on doing it again. Uh, this doesn't, you know, my wife said that, well, this uh, ruins your idea of ever having a tiny house. I don't think it does because I think tiny houses, uh, from what I've seen on television and, and researched, are much more comfortable. I mean, they have, you can have a regular mattress. You can have a regular bed. And you can put a regular mattress in an RV. It's just the one we had did, you know, and I told my wife, I said, what if we rented one of those big giant RVs, you know, like a coach one, like a bus thing? And she said, well, tell me how it was. <laughs> so I think she's out. I think she's off the RV list. I, I would try it again if it had, uh, you know, the right type of bed or something. But, uh, uh, you know, I was talking with uh, Jeff a couple days ago about our RV experience. And he said, you know, a lot of people take an RV to the lake. So you don't have to leave the lake to go back into town to go, you know, to the hotel or something. I mean, you could stay at the lake and go swimming during the day or boating or fishing or whatever. And then at night you stay in the RV and you do that for a couple of days and you come home. And I could see that. I mean, it, it has that application. But to go to a town that has hotels nearby, I don't know that I would need to do that again. So. Anyway, uh, I think that pretty much wraps up road trips. I mean, I've done a lot of road trips. I look forward to doing them in the future. The technology as far as GPSs and uh, and music and stuff has changed, but the enjoyment that I get hasn't really changed. I don't know that my bladder is as strong as it used to be. I don't know that my my back is as strong. I know it's not. Uh, you know, nowadays, after a few hours, I have to go uh, get a pillow to put under my butt because my tailbone starts hurting. So I know that I'm getting older. I can't drive as many miles as I used to in a day. Um, but man, all I can say is there's no feeling like it. There's no feeling like 
firing up the music, having We Are the Champions come on, <laughs> rolling down the windows, and just singing it, you know, singing until your horse, till your throat's burning, and you're drinking water to try and cool your throat down, and uh, watching the sun come up, you know, or go down while you're driving, and you're the only person on the interstate. It's just a a cool feeling, man, and and uh, going, you know, driving across the country and seeing so many cool things and meeting people in person and eating the the food from different areas and and going to different places. I I just I just love the heck out of it. It's it's one of my favorite things. So uh, maybe maybe I'll be coming if you uh, follow the follow me on Facebook or follow me on Twitter and you'll see uh, if I have another trip planned next time I I uh, plan a trip. I'll I'll let you know where I'm going and maybe uh we can stop and and have a beer or a coke or uh, uh if you got a hole in the ground we could dump our <laughs> dump our waste in the sewage out front of your house. <laughs> no, I doubt we'll be in an RV, but uh you never know. So uh yeah, I I um like I said I I almost talk wistfully and fondly about them, but I do I love a good road trip. That that's uh that's all I can say about it. That wraps up another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any other episode of You Don't Know Flack, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com. Contact me on Twitter at Commodork. Follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash you don't know flack. That's all one word. Or leave me voicemail on the You Don't Know Flack podcast hotline at area code 405-486-YDKF. You Don't Know Flack is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the You Don't Know Flack RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. If you'd like to hear more podcasts from me, check out my Commodore 64 theme podcast, Sprite Castle, at spritecastle.com, and Throwback Reviews at throwbackreviews.com. Both of these shows are also available at throwbacknetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Die before